Hello and welcome back to A Slice of Bread and Butter. We're here for episode four of our new podcast brought to you by the charity The Bread and Butter Thing. I'm Mark and I'm one of the charity's founders and chief exec. And I'm Fiona, I'm another member of the Bread and Butter Thing team. We're halfway through our series. I know. Um, How does that feel to you? Honestly, really weird. Making a podcast was something I've never really thought about before. I know what you mean, but it has been the most brilliant, enormous privilege to get out and meet some of our members and volunteers and get a little peek into their lives and just be able to talk to them in more detail about what you know bread and butter means to them. Yeah, totally. And there are so many more to chat with. We've got almost 30,000 members and close to 500 volunteers. And those numbers are growing all the time as new hubs open. But also, as the cost of living crisis brings new people to the scheme. Yeah, we're getting, what, 1,700 people joining a month, it feels. Um, so we're yeah. definitely, definitely being used to the max, which is good. Um, and we know that uh, most people save at least £25 um, on their food budgets each week when they use us. Um, and that makes a massive difference when money's so tight to so many people right yeah, now. Yeah, totally. So people pay around £7.50 for a regular big shop, which will help feed them and their families for the week. Uh, but we make sure the bags are loaded with fresh fruit and veg, as well as things for the fridge and cupboards. And it goes a long way to helping people accessing nutritious, healthy food at a price they can afford. So uh, we're finding out what difference bread and butter thing makes to their lives. So shall we have a little find out about who we're joining us this week? Yeah, totally. So today we're meeting Arnd. Um, Arnd is one of our members in Salford. Honestly, meeting Arnd was like meeting a local legend. He is a proper legend. So Arnd is the man who started the Christmas markets in Manchester. Yeah, completely amazing. He is the person responsible for bringing all of the food traders from all over Europe to Manchester to start the Christmas markets in 1993 in Albert Square. It was so bizarre to just come across Arndt like that uh, and he had so many photos of the first markets and things to show us. Yeah they were such a complete blast from the past weren't they everyone sort of in those sort of <laughs> ski jackety type fashion winter coats and um, the original huts selling what you know German sausages and beer and glue yep. vine. Well it's very much like that nowadays still but bigger much much bigger but let's hear what he had to say. I'm not hoping for something. I don't expect something. Uh, it is more a little bit like Christmas when you open your presents. Let surprise yourself what you will find. Hello, my name is Arndt. I'm 65 and I use the St. Peter Church Hub at Swinton Gateway. I get their regular medical treatment from the district nurses, which are based at Gateway in Swinton. And the van was always parking there. And after some time, I got curious and wondered, what is that bread and butter thing? And I looked on the internet and found what is behind Bread and Butter Club. And then I joined. So uh, I'm now uh, uh, looking into my kitchen cupboard pack from Bread and Butter Club and look what is inside there and there we have very nice uh, Sultana scones they are looking very very good oh and then I see a pack of coffee that is a very good thing 
I was not expecting to find room steaks from Gusto, the, the, the company who delivers the food boxes. Yeah. Or uh, it is a wide mix. You can get products from Amazon, also from Aldi, from Morrison. Yeah. So it has a lasting impact, I can say for myself. Not so much the cost factor, it was more the waste factor. I am German. Germany started much earlier than the United Kingdom in looking how can we reduce waste and, and how can we live a, a lifestyle which is better for the planet. First, I was surprised about the value. And then also what I noticed since I using that, my cooking has changed because over, I'm now not the youngest, yeah, but over the years, you cook normally that what you want to eat. And it shrinks more and more the variety of what you are cooking. Yeah? And through the using of these bags, I started cooking again things I had not cooked for a long time. And my diet has definitely changed to a more wider range, yeah? especially in, in, in case of vegetable and things like that. Fish, for example, I'm normally not a fisherman, but now I had fish, so I had to <laughs> prepare it. Yeah, uh, cereals, for example, for breakfast, I never had my whole my life, but I got some big bags from Kellogg's, and so I was thinking about what I'm doing. Yeah, I tried maybe a little bit. Yeah, now I use it. <laughs> yeah. These are photographs, yeah. I'm German, so I spent the most time of my life in Germany. And over my lifetime, I did several totally different things. But I ended up in, as a market trader. Yeah, no, I'm showing pictures uh, from my colleagues who started the Manchester Christmas Market. We had a good time because at, in the first two years the business was not really great. So we could in the evening party, then we could sleep over day. We had 20 traders from each country of the EU with typical products of their country, started traveling around Europe. And so for many years we traveled through Europe, from Portugal to Sweden, from Finland <laughs> to Spain. And uh, we were 1993 in Manchester, which was at that time a total different city as when you see it <laughs> in these days. And so the idea was born to do a European Christmas market on Albert Square. And so after we was 99 in Huddersfield, we was in coming 2000 at the middle of November to Manchester. The effect of the pandemic was absolutely disastrous because when you are working on events where a lot of people come together and then no events are possible, then your whole business breaks down. Yeah, you you, you uh, come at the moment from a high to zero. Because there is no income when you cannot work, 
because there are no events, there is no income. You only have a cost factor because you have a warehouse where you pay business rates, where you have stored all your equipment. Yeah, and uh, there was and then hope. Now, yeah, maybe it doesn't take long, and uh, maybe Christmas is everything finished. Yeah, and we can do twenty. Uh, 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 a Christmas market in Manchester, but it was not possible. And then through the regulations from Brexit, which makes it much, much harder to bring food from Europe in here in time. So imagine when you work on the Christmas market and your sausages run out because you had a very, very busy weekend with perfect weather, then you, you need now four days to get the sausages in what was before a half day. So it was then the, the thinking, makes it sense to do it any longer? Or do you say, no, it's okay, you have done enough. And that was my decision, I have done enough. I'm uh, starting to get my pension. And at the moment I'm getting all the universal credit. Because, unfortunately, I was trying, also to, as I said, at the beginning to hold the business alive. And though for that section there was also no government help, and so I asked them for universal credit. There are many, many people who have it much more tougher than I am. I think there is nobody at the moment who can really say, oh no, it didn't affect me in whatever way. Yeah, if it is only the way to the tank stop and fill your car up, yeah, you are affected from what happens at the moment. So, uh, luckily, I did uh, uh, one month before the big increase in the energy prices came a, a two-year contract. So, I'm still paying £60 per month for gas and energy. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm can say, oh, lucky, yeah? Many, many, many people are very unlucky in that. When you hear people talking about universal credit from the government side, yeah? They mention, yeah, we are putting down the national insurance, oh, we, we are leveling up the, the amount from which you have to pay national insurance and we looking for better jobs and higher pay. Yeah, but what is with a million people who are on universal credit because they are not able to work? who are carers for somebody, yeah, who are looking after five children or whatsoever. Yeah? Nobody is talking over this millions of people. They are always only talking about people who are working. And so you get the feeling that the government thinks who is not able to work is not worth anything. And I think that's wrong. Yeah, because for me, the value of a person is the same if he is rich, if he is poor, if he thinks left or if he thinks right that doesn't matter every person is the same here yeah? and there is at the moment in my eyes a big difference in the handling from people the better you are off the more help you get from the government the worse you are through whatever circumstances the less help you get and that is uh, not fair in my eyes raises all kinds of new things we haven't talked about yet in this series, um, including the environmental impact of surplus food. So, and it's quite, it's quite timely for us to be talking about that today because RAP 
have just released their latest redistribution figures for surplus food. So RAP's a climate action NGO and they look at all aspects of improving our sustainability. So at a personal, but also at a sort of national and international level. Anyway, so they've issued their latest data, which says that in 2021, the food industry saved 250 million meals worth of food from going to waste, in part by redistributing it to organisations like us. So that's over 100,000 tonnes worth of food. And that is an increase by about 16% on the year before. So that's an extra 34 million meals was redistributed last year. That is a lot of data already. We're going to be geeking out, I can tell this time. So we redistribute over 100 tonnes of food every week. So that's roughly a quarter of a million meals a week. And we work really closely with a wide range of businesses across the food industry to make that happen. It's not just supermarkets. We like to get right back into supply chain itself and work with companies to help them repurpose their surplus food to feed people first. So I think some of the people listening might be quite shocked about the volume of food that we're talking about. I mean, that is a lot Mm -hmm. of surplus food, which does have a big environmental impact globally. If food waste was a country, it would be the world's third largest emitter of greenhouse gases after China and the US. It's quite big about how important food waste is environmentally. I I sort of can't (laughs) wrap my head around that. Yeah, it, it, it is hard. I see that. I mean, clearly, we all need to take some responsibility for that in our own food wastage at home, which is a big contributor. But I wondered if you might want to single out some of the ways that uh, Bread and Butter Thing is working with industry to help reduce wasted surplus. Yeah, OK. So uh, we are really f- solutions focused. Surplus food happens for all kinds of reasons. So we try and work with individuals and individual suppliers to create bespoke, I guess, solutions trying to make sure that we work in ways that they can actually work within their business if that makes sense so rather than coming with one rigid answer to them for example we work with manufacturers to take the new product uh, the new product development stock like cartons of soup that are being trialed and tasted but haven't yet reached the shelves of supermarkets so brand new products or sometimes a product will end up in wrong packaging if there's a mix-up on production lines it can be that easy or we'll work in a bakery to take the big pasties that have slightly been opened up or overbaked and they're slightly too brown so they won't go to retail again. It's still amazingly good food or just so many of these things. So we'll take fruit that's too big or too small, outgrades they're called direct from orchards or the same happens with vegetables. Or we'll try to be really creative and work with technical teams to help them serve, solve their surplus problems. No one goes into food production to produce food that isn't going to be eaten or they don't want that food to be eaten. It's just that sometimes it requires a bit of extra thought and a bit of extra time to work out how to get it and use it. Quite a lot of the list that you've just mentioned implies that as food consumers, we're quite fussy. There's sort of fruit that's too big or not buying pasties that don't quite look perfect. Yeah, we are. We are definitely guilty of making the problem worse. The fingers pointed always at supermarkets and they're dedicated to making sure that every one of our food desires is satisfied. But let's be honest, that leads 
to surplus. Another thing that Aunt picked up on is that idea, um, mm-hmm. which has been a bit more of a sort of recurring theme about diet diversity, and that he's now eating a much wider diet, but is trying all kinds of things that he wouldn't normally buy. You know, like he never normally used to eat cereal, and he wasn't a great fish fan. <laughs> but, you know, now he is taking those foods and using them, Partly because he also doesn't yeah. want to waste them at home, but also because they're, you know, part of his bags. He's doing that brilliantly. And, and coming back to the cost of living issues, we know that the price of food is going up. Recently, the, the news was full of stories like low pack butter reaching a tenner a kilo. And that's just one example. But it obviously means that people's choices are shrinking. So their diets shrink too, which is where affordable options are so important. It's not just because it makes things expensive like fruit and veg and butter, but more accessible. It it also gives people the the chance to try new things that they wouldn't ordinarily pay for. I did some research into the Health Foundation data and they... You're having a data week, I can tell. I am, I am, but I'm quite (laughs) loving that. You know, they're very clear that poor diet is the biggest risk factor to preventable ill health in England. Uh, So that includes things like, you know, diabetes or health issues related to obesity, but also mental health. Uh, So, you know, what we eat really impacts, you know, on the way that we feel as well as, you know, our sort of physical health. But according to their report, two of the four critical factors are, wait for it, affordability (laughs) affordability of good food and availability in the local area. Amen to that. Yes, we spoke about it last week, but we're back to that idea of holistic approach needed to tackle all kinds of issues. And for us, it starts with food. So when we touched very a little bit on our individual responsibility, need to avoid food waste. So Mark, how do you do that in your house? Oh, we're, we're, so Jane and I are closet accountants. We are really quite dull and quite rigid at, at times. In fact, I would say that Jane is far more rigid than I am and a far better food waste hero than I ever am because I am the one that is always looking to go with the impulse. But Jane will say, well, no, we've got this to finish. We've got this to have in the, in the fridge and we will always try level best to empty that fridge before we go elsewhere and buy other stuff. So that that discipline is what we try and keep and that keeps the food waste down to a minimum and then once we've done that and once the kids have rejected what we've made for them it goes in the dog (laughs) oh my word poor jasper (laughs) although maybe that means he gets lots of treats yep we do potluck pasties in our house we save everything, like the little bits of leftovers from a dinner. Yeah, yeah. We free, even if it's like, you know, like half of a portion, we'll freeze it. And then we get to a critical mass of annoying pots of small stuff in the freezer. To take it all out, defrost it, got a complete range of things, get some pastry, make pasties out of it. And then it literally is a potluck dinner. I love that idea. I think if you just threw some spices in there with that, I, I'm yours. That, 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 yeah, sign me up. Well, you could get anything, you know, curry, spag bowl, whatever it is. Yeah, then, yeah. Um, and if I'm feeling really mean and I want to get the kids to eat the stuff that they rejected first time round, I don't in any way make any differentiating features on the pasties. So they really just get, <laughs> frankly get what they're giving. Surprise pasty. Yeah, exactly. I like it. Potluck. <laughs> Thank you.
Right, so uh, we should stop. Uh, but first, we should say thanks to Arndt. Um, he was the first person, the first person that I called about doing the podcast. Um, and I was so, it was so great to talk to. And um, so thank you, Arndt, for agreeing to chat with us. Yep, and he is a legend for sure. If you'd like to know more about the bread and butter thing and what we get up to, you can find us at Team TBBT on Instagram and Twitter or LinkedIn or online at breadandbutterthing.org. And if you have any feedback or thoughts on the podcast, you can get in touch by email at podcast at breadandbutterthing.org. Finally, we're always open to new members at all of our hubs. So if you or anyone you know would benefit from our affordable food scheme, you can find your nearest hub on the join us pages of the website. And please do all those things that podcasts ask you to do. Like us, subscribe to us, leave us a review, share us with your friends and say nice things about us on social. Join us next week when we'll be meeting Elaine and Pauline who make the magic happen at our hub in Leggate in County Durham. Bye.